The full power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is contained in the Book of Mormon, period. And the Book of Mormon is replete with examples of disciples and prophets who knew and understood and were transformed by the enabling power of the atonement. Remember this declaration by Jesus himself. Whoso treasureth up my word shall not be deceived. And in the last days, neither your heart nor your faith will fail you. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 65 of the Book of Mormon podcast. And today you have just me and Kevin. I know we've had a lot of guests, but we just have me and Kevin today. And we're going to be in the Book of Jerem and the Book of Omni today. And so we're excited to discuss these chapters and our insights that we had. And I thought that I thought it was really good. I enjoyed my studies and I know Kevin did too. Oh, and y'all, um, we we have a website. Well, we had a website, but now we have like the website domain, like it's official. So you should go check out our website on our Instagram or Facebook and go go share it with people because it's pretty cool. What is the website? The website? It's ChristCenteredConversations.org. That's right. Yep. <laughs> pretty legit. Um, and, you know, there you can, obviously you can get the podcast feeds. Uh, Shelby also does a weekly blog. Mm-hmm. Um, and now that it's a little bit more official, we might put some extra things on there. I don't know. It, yeah. We're just going to kind of roll with it. But that's a, that's a new hub for all information and all of our podcasts. So you can go there if you want to. Um, and then, of course, we have, uh, hopefully those of you listening will have noticed a slight increase in the production quality. We got a new microphone for Christmas. Yep. Uh, as Shelby said on the conference talk podcast, little plug, <laughs> uh, Santa and his elves got it for us. Yeah. They decided to bless us so that we sounded better. Yeah. And, uh, we have been uploading more conference talk episodes uh, this last week. And so um, definitely go and check those out because they're brand new. They're done with the new microphone as well. Yeah. So but without further ado, let's dive in <laughs> to the book of Jerem. So <clears throat> just to catch us up. We read in the book of Enos, which is just the one chapter book. And then there's a few more one chapter books that follow. And the the next one is the book of Jerem. And Jerem was the son of Enos. And he's given the, the record, the small plates of Nephi. Um, and he's told to like keep the record and add anything pertinent, I guess, 
to them. Mm-hmm. And so that's where we're going to pick up um, the heading of this chapter says the Nephites keep the law of Moses, look forward to the coming of Christ and prosper in the land. Many prophets labor to keep the people in the way of truth and spans the years 399 to 361 BC. So Shelb, where, where do we want to kick it off? Well, I have some notes by me um, and I just want to start, I guess, with a couple of the things I learned right away, like Mm -hmm. insights that I had. So, Jerem, like you said, he's been given the record. And um, this is uh, Enos's son, right? Right. Okay, so immediately in verse 1, it says Jerem, he's writing a few words, that our genealogy may be kept. And I thought that was interesting that that's one of the first reasons he says he's writing in this record. And then he adds the second part, I would say, which is in verse two, they are written for the intent of the benefit of our brethren, the Lamanites. And so I thought that was cool too, but I really hooked on to the fact that in verse one, it's so that the genealogy may be kept. And um, it made me think I liken the scriptures unto myself. And I thought that's actually really cool because we do see the genealogy line in the Book of Mormon. And it's 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 really cool to see. And then I started thinking about my own genealogy and why the church, you know, stretches, not stretches, um, emphasizes. Or stresses. Stresses. Thank you. Um that we do our genealogy work. And so I just thought it was really cool that before he says the intent to write for our our brethren, the Lamanites, the first reason is the genealogy, which means it's got to be pretty important. Yeah, that's true. So, Yeah, and and I remember back in um, 1 Nephi when that's that's one of the reasons that Lehi – is commanded to go and well to send his sons to retrieve the brass plates from Laban. It's because of the genealogy. Not only was it the scriptures, right? It also had the genealogy of their fathers, and it and it showed that Lehi was a descendant of Joseph, right? Right. So that's pretty cool. It, and all of that goes back to the Abrahamic covenant, right? This idea that God and the Lord Jesus Christ made promises to the, the early patriarchs, the early church uh, leaders, even, even Adam, uh, and all the way down. And so that's why it's so important to, to know where we come from, to know where we stand in, in that line of genealogy. So in that same verse, though, it says, uh, wherefore, it must needs be that I write a little. But he says, but I shall not write the things of my prophesying, nor of my revelations. For what 
could I write more than my fathers have written? For have they not revealed the plan of salvation? I say unto you, yea, and this suffices me. I thought that was cool because immediately he's implying that the plan of salvation has been laid out and that is content and he's happy. And what more can he add to it? You know, so that shows how important also the plan of salvation is. And the plan of salvation, I believe, connects directly to our genealogy work. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was just a cool little insight I had from like verses one and two right away. Because um, like I'm not going to write what's been revealed to me because most of it's already on the plates. And what more should I add? Because the most important thing, at least in his eyes, is already on the plates. It's already been laid out. Right. So I thought that was really insightful of Jerem to write. Yeah. So there, there's some things in Omni that I want to bring up with regard to that. But I believe that Jerem did his intent was that, hey, these these doctrines are already down on the plates. My father taught them to me. His father taught them to him and so on. And we have those. We have those readily available in the scriptures. And so with my space on the record, because it was limited, mm-hmm. he decides to um, share some other things. And so, um, and, and what he actually does is he, he talks a lot about some missionary work that was done during his lifetime mm-hmm. and um, the, the spiritual welfare of his people. Right. And so in verse three, it says, behold, it is expedient that much should be done among this people because of the hardness of their hearts and the deafness of their ears and the blindness of their minds, the stiffness of their necks. And he says, nevertheless, God is exceedingly merciful unto them and has not as yet swept them off the face of the land. And that just shows Jerem's understanding of, of that conditional promise in, in as much as you keep my commandments, the commandments of God, then you will prosper in the land. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't, well, we know what happens. And, and he, he's, he uh, attributes that to the mercy of God. And um, he does say that many, many revelations were had among the people because they were not all stiff-necked and that many of them, he said, as, as many as were or as are not stiff-necked and have faith, have communion with the Holy Spirit, which maketh manifest unto the children of men according to their faith. And so he's teaching some doctrine there, too, as it turns out. Right. Um, I liked that one because uh, I've always, you know, you hear the word stiff-necked in the scriptures, and I immediately, like, inverted the sentence to show that, obviously, stiff-necked means that you don't have faith or communion with the Holy Ghost based on what he says about those who are not stiff-necked. So it was a cool little inverted sentence for me. (laughs) I liked it because I remember being in seminary and Sister Miller one time, I think we we were in the Book of Mormon, and at some point in the scriptures, she had us like act out a scene, and some of us had to have stiff necks, and we had to put like 
cardboard like around our neck and like we couldn't move our necks. I wasn't one of them, but like most of them will half or split and half or not. But it was really funny. So whenever I think of stiff neck and I think of that experience, um, but it was cool to have a little insight on that too as well. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it was pretty cool because she's like, it's hard, right? Like, and we're like, it taught a really cool lesson to show what stiff neck and mean. I mean, it wasn't literally their necks, but but in a way, I don't think they were bowing them to pray. They were keeping them high. They were humbling themselves, and so um, it did apply very very much to the way that we hold our neck. So. I was just about to ask you, like, what you what you think "stiff necked" really means, mm-hmm. um, because we've talked about it a lot, and I think we've we've talked about what it means in the past in some regard. But I appreciate you kind of going a little bit deeper in there. Like, yeah, yeah. They, they weren't they weren't bowing their heads. They weren't. Yeah, they were prideful. They were prideful. So, right. Anyway. It's just another way of saying that. In verse five. He brings up, he, he kind of, I guess, puts a timestamp on it, saying 200 years have passed away uh, from the time that Lehi left Jerusalem, I, I assume. That's interesting, because is it, is it that, or is it, um, yeah. It must be, right? I was also thinking maybe 200 years from when he got the plates, but that doesn't make sense. No. Yeah. So I stopped. <laughs> yeah. The the book of Jeremiah only spans like 30 or 40 there's years. There's an asterisk in my, by the 200, mm. and it takes 399 BC. So mm. that makes sense. Yeah. And he, he mentions that the people of Nephi, they wax strong in the land and that they also observe the law of Moses and they keep the the, yeah they keep the Sabbath day holy no profanity and they didn't blaspheme (laughs) and it says the laws of the land were exceedingly strict and we talked about this last night what it was kind of just in past like we just had a, a little conversation about it yeah and I highlighted that in my scriptures because it was interesting to me. Um, The law of Moses was like a very structured system of worship. And it's just interesting that he, he says that the laws of the land were exceedingly strict. It, It links to Mosiah or excuse me, to Alma, yeah, referring to the time um, after King Mosiah. And it just talks about people um, walking uprightly before God. And I don't know. It, it, I, think, I think that the reason that it was mentioned in this context is that the people... I think they were obedient. They were obedient. Yeah. I think we're thinking like strict. We always think of something as restraining. Um, or like you can't, I don't know, like you're stuck, right? Like restricted. 
but I don't think that is what's he, what he's trying to imply here. He's just trying to say like the laws are pretty clear, you know, like mm. they were what they were. And he just said everyone was keeping them, you know, so they didn't vary. I mean, that's why they end up prospering <laughs> in the land. Wow. What do you read in the next verses? Yeah, I really, I, I really appreciate you saying that. That that gives some clarity to me. So the Nephites being scattered among or um, across the face of the land. It talks about that the Lamanites were more numerous and that they loved murder. And this like keeps going back to something that we keep we keep talking about with regard to the Lamanites is that there's just becoming a more wicked people. Yeah. You know, it's it runs deeper than well, they just weren't members of the church. Hmm. Right. Right. They delighted in bloodshed. Yeah. And and they tried to battle the Nephites many, many times, is what Jeremy explains. But because of them having the Lord on their side and, and preparing and having good leaders, um, they withstood them. And when they withstood them, they then fortified their cities even more, you know, just in case they come back again. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty cool. And and they in verse eight, they multiplied exceedingly. And I think it's cool that Jerem went into such detail about the gold and the silver and the workmanship and steel and weapons of war. Like it gives us some insight into the the culture and the society of these people. Yeah, they they were preparing for more difficult times ahead. It says at the right. end of verse eight, and all preparations for war. Right. Because they they knew that the Lamanites had come up against them and that they would continue to do so. Right. Because the because of that eternal hatred that the Lamanites had for them. It was persistent. And in verse nine, I really like this. Hmm. Um, I, I like that he says, and thus being prepared to meet the Lamanites, they did not prosper against us. And that's, that's how it works, right? Well, I think if you are living the commandments and you are also prepared in all you know, ways, then your enemies and Satan don't prosper against you. It doesn't mean that you're going to have a easy life or that you're not going to have some tragedies befall you. Right. Um, Cause it is a fallen world. Right. But they still, they attributed it to God. And it, that's exactly what Jerem says. The The word of the Lord was verified, which he spake unto our fathers, saying that inasmuch as ye will keep my commandments, ye shall prosper in the land. And again, that little thread, that thread all the way through the Book of Mormon. Right. Um, the next, 
kind of interesting in verse 10 says that the prophets of the Lord did threaten the people of Nephi according to the word of God. Uh, and furthermore, that if they, they did not keep the commandments, but should fall into transgression, they should be destroyed from off the face of the land. And I think that Jerem isn't just meaning at that present time, but he's kind of talking about all the prophets of the Nephites. Like going back to Jacob, because Jacob did, and even Lehi mm -hmm. and Nephi and all the prophets um, in the Book of Mormon so far have, for lack of another word, threatened the people, threatened or warned mm -hmm. against transgression and uh, made it very clear what would happen. But it, that's a weird word to use, I think. Once again, I think we think of it in the wrong way. Like as the word, um, what was the other word we just talked about? Strict. Strict, yeah. I think threatened. His choice of words is interesting. I don't think it's like, you better do this and I'm going to, like, it wasn't like a fearful threaten. Yeah. It was like, I'm just making you aware of what's going to happen if you don't do this. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's not um, so much as the way we think of the word threatened. <laughs> right. I, I don't know why I believe that. I just do because I can't see the prophets if they're, you know, like God and leading his church. I don't think God is going to be like threatening and trying to like coerce us into keeping the commandments. Right. You know, it's just not in line with the character of God. But by so doing that, in verse 12, we see, um, it says, and it came to pass that by so doing, meaning the prophets teaching these things, um, they kept them from being destroyed. Mm -hmm. And it said, for they did prick their hearts with the word continually, stirring them up into repentance. So we see here that a key thing that happened was repentance continually with the people. They were constantly being reminded of what they need to do better, what they need to improve and change upon. And is that not what the prophets and apostles do today, right? Mm. We are continually having our hearts pricked so that we can repent and become better. And that's why there is prospering in the land today with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But there's also still that wickedness. I mean, we're pretty much living in Jerem's time, like that he's written about. There were not all who were stiff-necked, naked, but there was you know, people who are worse of naked and all that kind of stuff. So something also somewhat um, distinct about the the people at this time is that they they really understood the the role of Jesus Christ. Hmm. And that's in verse eleven that all the prophets and priests and teachers, they labored diligently, exhorting with all long suffering to the people or, or the people to diligence. And they taught the law of Moses, but also the intent for which it was given, persuading them to look forward unto the Messiah and believe in him as though, as though, um, he had already come. 
and that's not what it says there. It's it's kind of said oddly, or it just says it's kind of interesting. It says to look forward unto the Messiah and believe in Him to come, as though He already was, right? And after this manner did they teach them, and that's just really cool that here were these people many hundreds of years before the come, coming of Christ. He wasn't even set to come to them until well after mm-hmm. his mortal life or his mortal birth. And yet they they understood, I believe because of wise teachers and, and their own diligence, that the law of Moses was pointing their souls to Christ and they they lived i really believe they lived the higher law of the gospel even at this time and the higher law being the law that that jesus gave right you well, know the loving law wasn't even given yet what do you mean how could they live the higher law if the law wasn't given yet well i i think that it's not that they were living it explicitly i'm just saying based on like what we'll read in king benjamin and King Benjamin knew what was up. He exhorted them to live it and to serve one another and love their neighbor as themselves and so on and so forth, right? Gotcha. So, but yeah, no, I, I understand. Um, I just, the only reason I brought it up is that I just feel that these people at this time, they had, you know, we always talk about how we were, a choice generation, like a choice people reserved for a special time. Mm-hmm. And I completely believe that. I also believe that certain people were blessed to come to earth at other times when righteousness was in surplus. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of the people who lived in the time of Enoch, who lived in that city and were translated up into heaven. Right. You know, these were righteous people. Um, so they knew something and that's why, that's why we can, we can learn something important from them. That's why we do this podcast and that's why we feast on the scriptures. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause we can learn something from these people. Um, what do you want to, did you have anything to share about that verse in verse 11? Like, no. Okay. Mm-mm. Cool. Not really. Um, I just do love that verse. So, but but we have mm-hmm. we have a whole other book to get through today. Yeah. So we got to get moving. Um, what what more do we want to discuss about Jerem before we move on to Omni? I think Jerem did a great job at summarizing what was happening in his time and mm. what had happened and and making connections. I thought he did a really good job. And once again, I guess at the end, he he passes these plates on to Omni, which is his son. So once again, the genealogy is coming into play. And then if I can point out, going into Omni really quick, once again, the first thing in the first verse, Jerem says that he should write, I'm sorry, Omni says he should write, uh, to preserve her genealogy. It's the same reason that his father wrote. And so it just, 
once again, very interesting there. Um, connection to genealogy. Yeah. So did you have anything else to say about Jerem? I know I skipped no. into Omni, but it just cracks me up that like both father and son, you know, like father, like son, but also it goes back all the way to when Lehi said to go get the plates, like you said earlier. So I know I'm being repetitive, but it's obviously important. Right. So, no, no, um, nothing else in Jerem that we haven't already discussed. Now, um, in the book of Omni, it's interesting that Omni was Jerem's son. Yeah. He's the first in this line of record keepers. Yeah. But it goes through a bunch. I wrote them all down so we wouldn't get confused. Okay. Do you want me to say who it goes through or no? Well, it it'll it says that. Well, I mean, we can. We can, like, recap at the end. Okay. Because we'll get through those verses pretty quick, I think. Yeah. But the first thing, well, I guess the second thing, because you, talk, you talked about. The first thing. Omni's intent. Right. Or at least, at least his understanding of why he was doing what he was doing. But Omni is a really interesting character in the Book of Mormon to me. And he's from what he says in verse two, he says, I would that ye should know that I fought much with the sword to preserve my people, the Nephites, from falling into the hands of their enemies, the Lamanites. But behold, I of myself am a wicked man, and I have not kept the statutes and the commandments of the Lord as I ought to have done. <clears throat> and you know, I uh, there are times in my life that I felt like Omni here where, and I, I know we all have, like we fall short and we look back and we kind of have um, an admission of our guilt and we understand that we didn't do everything we could have done. But, you know, I believe that Omni, he he was probably a little bit too hard on himself. I mean, here he is following the mm. instructions of his father, a prophet. He, he lived in a time where there was much war and contentions. That's what Jerem even said at the end of his record. Um, he said, after the manner of wars and contentions and dissensions for the space of much of the time. And so... I love Omni and I'm so grateful for him. I can't wait to meet him. <laughs> he didn't write very much, but his words are powerful. I feel. Well, yeah, he, he, he put down, um, he did just talk about the, the wars and, and contentions of his life. He continues and finishes saying in verse three, um, that we had many seasons of peace um, and we had many se seasons of serious war and bloodshed. Yea, and in fine, 280 and two years had passed away. And I had kept these plates according to the commandments of my fathers, and I conferred them 
upon my son, Amaron, and I make an end. And so, yeah, he, he just kind of gives a basic, um, like a, like a, a little sit rep situational report of his lifetime, what was happening. But he, I think he also, you know, he wrote, he wrote that, that sort of confession for the intent of, of helping those that would be after him. Like, listen, I, I got caught up in some things that maybe I shouldn't have spent so much time in, mm-hmm. you know, and sure it was important. I had, I had to fight with the sword, but I didn't do everything that I should have done. So just keep that in mind. And then we go to Amaron and he's, this is interesting or no, he, he says, um, the more wicked part of the Nephites were destroyed during his lifetime or during a period of time that he lived. He says, for the Lord would not suffer after he had led them out of the land of Jerusalem and kept and preserved them from falling into the hands of their enemies. Yea, he would not suffer that the words should not be verified, which he spake unto our fathers saying, inasmuch as ye will not keep the commandments, ye shall not prosper in the land. So Amaron here is, is testifying that this is true. I saw it happen. The more wicked part of the people were wiped out. <laughs> it's the same thing his grandfather did, Jerem, in verse 9. But conversely, right? Right. Yeah. Jerem saw the, 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 the exceedingly righteous people. Yeah. Right. And Amnon saw the other, his grandson. So that's just... A generation gap. Um, however, I thought it was interesting that they chose to use the word verified. <laughs> the word of the Lord was verified hmm. or would be verified or should be verified, however they put it, right? It's just interesting because it's like once again, they know the Lord has to keep his promises. And we talked about this on conference talk, I think. Um the Lord is bound when we do what he says. <laughs> so his word must be verified. Like if not, he would not be the Lord, you know, like it, it has to happen. So I just thought it was interesting. He's also writing in the manner of his fathers, you know. So it's just cool to see those little connections um, come into play. And especially the word verified, you know, it makes something official. Yeah. So. No, I like that too. Um, he says, nevertheless, he, the Lord, did spare the righteous that they should not perish, but he did deliver them out of the hands of their enemies. And so he passes the plates to his brother, Chemish. Which I Chemish. wonder, I always wonder, which is, I always wonder if he didn't have a son. Yeah, or maybe his son. I mean, it's not that important, but I just wonder. Right. You know, because it's gone from son to son, or father to son, father to son. So. Well, and Nephi gave it to his brother Jacob, so it's not unprecedented. Mm. Makes sense. I like that insight. But it's it's interesting that it's not always done in the same way. It's not um, a given where the callings mm-hmm. go. Um, they come from the Lord and 
uh, Amaron. I'm pretty sure that's where we came from, right? Amaron. Uh, he gave the plates to his brother because that's who the Lord wanted to have them. Hmm. So I'm, I'm going to call him Shemish. It's Chemish. Okay. And he says, uh, I, Shemish, write what few things I write in the same book with my brother. For behold, I saw the last which he wrote, that he wrote it with his own hand. And he wrote it in the day that he delivered them unto me. And after this manner, we keep the records. And uh, that's cool. He's, he's kind of like testifying of his brother's fulfillment of that role. It's like, I, I saw him write these things with his own hand. And that's cool. And, and he, that's all he does. That's all he says. He just, he kind of bore witness of his brother. And then he passes it on. He passes it on to his son, uh, Abinadam. And Abinadam, and Shelb at any time, if you want to, uh, if you want to jump in here uh, with anything. Well, I mean, what's up with Chemish? Chemish, you don't want to write anything else? I don't well, know. Le- we'll kind of get to another guy later on that yeah, I, I know, think. There's another one too. Yeah, there, there's well, and I, oh, I think it is Abinadam. Um, he says that he saw much war and contention between the the Nephites and the Lamanites. Go figure. This is kind of a uh, it's repetitive. Right. Well, it is. It's not. Yes. Yes. It's repetitive, but it's a pattern. It's like it's a systemic issue, right? Right. That they that they don't like each other. Um. He says that he fought as well. He says, um, he's taken the lives of many Lamanites in the defense of his brethren. Right. But this is what I was referring to. Um, kind of similar to Chemish, which um, what he writes is very little, and he doesn't necessarily he doesn't add anything. He doesn't add anything of himself, or or okay, I'll just read it. <laughs> he says, "I know of no revelation save that which has been written, neither prophecy. Wherefore, that which is sufficient is written, and I make an end." What's the second time someone says it suffices me so they don't add more? So here's, check this out. The first time that you're referring to is way back in Jerem. Correct. When he says, hey, you know, what more could I write that hasn't been written? The plan of salvation is on these plates. And that's Jerem. Yeah. It sufficeth me, right? But, But here is... Abinadam. Um, Abinadam, who says, I know of no revelation, save that which has been written, neither prophecy. Wherefore, that which is sufficient is written, and I make an end. I believe that Jerem, and I and we know because he he references that there were many revelations had among his people. It's just that he's not going to go down. He's not going to take the time or space on the record, on this official record, to record the same doctrine, right? And moreover, he he wasn't 
he didn't feel inclined to. He didn't feel impressed to, I believe. If the Lord said, no, we need you to re-record some of these doctrinal points, then he would have. And we see that in the words of Mormon next. Because Mormon, he did some abridgment of the records. Correct. In order to preserve them when, you know, he didn't really know why. But um, we've talked about it before, right? The the 162 manuscript pages that were lost, right? Those, there were things in the book of Lehi that we no longer have because they were, they were lost. Right. And then withheld from the prophet Joseph afterwards uh, from retranslating them. And some of those things are repeated in the book of Nephi, the first book of Nephi. And so if the Lord wanted Jerem to record again, the same doctrines that have already been in the Book of Mormon, he would have, but he didn't feel impressed to. I feel like for Abinadam, he's saying, I know of no revelation. He he didn't have any spiritual experiences that he can draw upon and write down. What do you think? I agree. (laughs) That's why I was kind of giving him a hard time a little bit because he doesn't, like he says, I don't know. It kind of reminded me a little bit of Laman and Lemuel. I'm not saying he's Laman and Lemuel, but it reminded me of the fact that, like, I don't know anything unless I'm told type thing. Because, like, when Laman and Lemuel wanted to know about the vision that his their father had, Lehi, like, they said, when Nephi asked him, like, well, have you inquired of the Lord? And they're like, the Lord hasn't told me anything. And so that's kind of how I feel like um, Abinadam is a little bit in that sense of attitude. He didn't seek for any revelation. Well, I don't know, given the time frame, I don't know if this was a big time of war. I don't know if he had the time to ponder and seek revelation or if he just knew what he knew and moved forward. So it's just interesting. Well, it was definitely it was definitely a time of many wars, right? Right. And well, I know that, but we don't know specifically. Right. No, I, I, I know what you mean. Uh, and of course, uh, we're not the judge of Abinadam and Shemesh. I do say, though, that that we can we can learn from this and like say, well, what are we going to do to right. make to to build our personal testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Right. Because they were still obedient. They did, they did keep the record. They even put something down before they passed it along to the next record keeper. But I think that they are, they were trying to convey in their own way. Okay. I don't really know much, mm-hmm. but they knew enough, um, at least enough to, to keep the record going. Because we're about to get to like some serious stuff. I mean, just a few pages away is Mosiah. And then Alma after that. Imagine if Shemesh or Abinadam were like, man, I don't really, I don't really know much. I, I haven't had the spiritual life that my father's had. So I'm just going to let this thing sit here and, you know, I'm not going to pass it on. I'm going to get, let it lo- get lost or something like 
they were still diligent in their own way. Um, well, that's that's all I say I'm, about. I'm that. not saying they weren't. I'm just saying that that's kind of the a little bit of the attitude I felt coming from a Benedictine in a way. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I mean, I fall into that trap too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying it's how I felt when I was reading it. But y'all could have felt completely different when reading it. You know, we all have our own experiences with the scriptures, and so. It was just interesting to me because I'm like, eh, this is kind of reminding me of Lady Lemuel, just, just a little bit, a little teensy bit, you know? No, but they obviously it. were very diligent, like you said, and because they kept the record and passed it to the point that it gets to King Benjamin. So, and that's some really cool insights in King Benjamin. Yeah. That he gives in the scriptures. But, um, I'm sorry, what? No, go ahead. Oh, okay. But then um, Amalek, Abinadom passes it on to his son. I'm sorry, Amalekai. No, Abinadom passes it on to his son, Amalekai. Yes. <laughs> sorry. I was having flashbacks to when you kept calling Laman, Laban, and Laban, Laman. <laughs> and you were like, and Nephi kills Laman. Cuts off his head and I'm like, no, no, it's he kills Laban. That's oh, funny. Well, they're very similar, and that's also so. Abinadam is giving it to his son Amalekai at this point, and Amalekai is pretty cool. He gives a pretty nice record of the people. He wrote a lot more. So now, the I guess the latter part of this chapter. You say Amalekai is pretty cool. I I think he probably could have done a better job of writing this part because it's a little bit confusing. At least it has been to me. But um, I did do enough studying, and, and I think together we can figure it all out. So he starts talking about, he says, I will speak unto you somewhat concerning Mosiah who was made king over the land of Zarahemla. Now, we don't really know what that is yet. And later on, he's going to clarify that. Um, I guess, if nothing else, this is another example of like, these guys were writing on a plate, like they were engraving mm -hmm. on a metal plate, and they couldn't hit backspace. So if they started a thought, they had to finish it, and then they come back around to clarify it after the fact. Right. So he says um, that Mosiah, who's the king of the land, land of mm -hmm, he being warned of the Lord that he should flee out of land of Nephi, and as many as would hearken unto the voice of the Lord should also depart out of the land with him into the wilderness. And he goes on to say that they did depart, out of the land into the wilderness and they were led by many preachings and prophesyings and they were admonished continually by the word of God and they were led by the power of his arm through the wilderness until they came down into the land which is called the land of Zarahemla so <clears throat> basically Amalekai who's the record keeper at this point, uh, we can assume that he's kind of, he, he was a Nephite, all the people of Nephi, 
there's a guy, Mosiah. He was warned to flee out of the land of Nephi with as many people who would follow. Mm -hmm. And I assume that Amalekai was one of those people that followed him. They're led by way of revelation, you know, very much a, you know, Lehi out in the wilderness situation. And then they come into this land, which is called the land of Zarahemla. And in verse 14, it says they discovered a people who were called the people of Zarahemla. And apparently these people were a, another remnant of the house of Israel. It says in verse 15 that Mosiah discovered that the people of Zarahemla came out from Jerusalem at the time that Zedekiah, king of Judah, was carried away captive into Babylon. This is not too far from the time that Lehi left Jerusalem. Right. It's very close. Another group of people were sent out, warned to go right. as well. But these people apparently, um, well, first off, the people in Zarahemla rejoiced exceedingly because they saw this as the Lord sending Mosiah and people with the plates of brass, which were the scriptures, mm -hmm. to them. And so they were very happy right. to receive the Nephites into Zarahemla. Because it, I'm jumping down a little bit further, but in 17, they we learned that they didn't take any plates with them. So the difference here is that at the very beginning of the Book of Mormon, when Lehi is commanded to leave, we've said it already, the plates get taken with him. And so they have the scriptures, which is why King Mosiah has them now, right? Up to these points of being passed through generations. And then there's this other group of people that also left around a similar time of Lehi who leave and come this way. And they're here too, but they had no records at all. And what happens in verse 7, I know I'm skipping through some verses, but I'm no, trying no, to summarize it. In 17, it says, because basically they didn't have records, their language became corrupt, which is really uh, interesting. Yeah, something something with regard to their language was, you know, had changed. Um, right. and, and that could have been because they assimilated with people like indigenous people mm -hmm. in the new world or something like that could have happened. But it says they brought no records with them, just like you said. Right. And they denied the being of their creator. Because they didn't have the records. So yeah. how are they supposed to remember? Right. You know, you can't necessarily blame them, which is cool now because they're like, oh, what are these records of our people that we left from too. So they're like right. being connected back um, to their genealogy. So the people of Mosiah, mm -hmm. which are Nephites, um, the more righteous part of the people of Nephi, right? Because there are apparently still people in the land of Nephi, but they're wicked now. Right. They're either wicked or they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> And so the people of Mosiah unite 
with the people of Zarahemla and they appoint Mosiah to be their king. Worked out pretty good for Mosiah. Mm-hmm. And it came to pass in the days of Mosiah that um, it says there was a large stone brought unto him with the engravings on it or with engravings on it. And he did interpret the engravings by the gift and power of God. That's here. the Urim and Thummim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, he, well, mm, a large stone. I think the stone had engravings on it. And it does say he interpreted, but we don't know if he had any tools per se to, uh, at least I don't Well, the think. footnote for interpret says Urim and Thummim. Oh, okay. So I guess an apostle or someone inspired um, has inferred that he interpreted the engravings on this stone and being the gift and power of God, he used seer stones or the Urim and Thummim. Mm-hmm. Okay. Fair enough. Um, so we've talked about two groups of people thus far. Right. And they're united now. And this account that is found and, and translated from this like in engraving on this stone. Mm-hmm. It refers to a third civilization, (laughs) which is now lost, which is now destroyed. And it says in verse 21 that it gave an account of a guy named Coriantumr and, well, and the slain of his people, which is an interesting way to say it. Apparently, Coriantumr was discovered by the people of Zarahemla, and he dwelt with them for a period of time. And Coriantumr is the last of a people called the Jaredites, Mm -hmm. who are descendants of the people way back from the Tower of Babel. Isn't it Babel? uh, Well, Babel or Babel, I guess. It's Babel. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not going to split hairs about pronunciation. <laughs> um, but that's way back from in the Old Testament or Genesis times. Mm-hmm. And this guy, Coriantumr, um, he's he was like one of the last of his he people. He was their last king. Mm. Which is just interesting that like it would have had to been so long and can i read something sure okay just gonna it's a big paragraph and it does reference another book in the book of mormon called the book of ether okay so it says the third group was the jaredites who came to the land of promise following the time of the great tower mentioned in genesis 11. the original jaredite colony grew into a great race eventually however the annihilation they annihilated themselves in a great civil war sometimes be- sometime between 600 and 300 BC, leaving only Coriantumr, who we're reading about right now, their last king, and Ether, a prophet of the Lord. Ether finished the record, and Coriantumr apparently wandered until he found the people of Zarahemla, where he lived for the space of nine moons, which we just read in verse 21, is before dying. 
Little is known of the Jaredites other than what is recorded by Moroni in the book of Ether. Hmm. So we see the Coriantumr just found the people of Zerhumla and dwelt with them. But we do get more insight to the 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 Jaredites in the book of Ether, which is um, at the very end of the Book of Mormon, towards the end. So anyway, I thought that would be some cool background to see that this part actually will connect later on yeah in the book of Mormon. yeah it definitely will which shows i just had this thought how could joseph smith like anyone who would say that joseph smith wrote this book how could he know so intricately to write these things if they were false you know what i mean like this is like civilizations and certain people coming from somewhere and putting them at this part of the record and then mentioning them here and like that's so intricate like no one could make that up you know it would have to have been you know what i mean yeah i always i've i've given this example on the podcast before but um i'll say it again because i think it's relevant you know i i myself am a a creative writer i fancy myself an author right and i write fiction and i write like in the fantasy genre and high fantasy and and I've been working on <laughs> I don't know if y'all can hear we've we've got uh, we've got just a very musically talented neighbor and um if you can hear them we're sorry yeah sorry about that um but you know it's uh, maybe it's being recorded for their posterity as well right <laughs> maybe <laughs> a little crossover anyway what I wanted to talk about is is that the the intricate storylines that I have to develop it takes me a long time to do and I'm constantly making edits right. and I'm going back and trying to refine it and there's there's just no way that the prophet Joseph could have done that uh, facetiously in the in the amount of time that right. he had to translate to you know or, okay, allegedly right right you know the the book of mormon and then on top of that i mean you know his scribes are also the, they bore witness of his work um in translating the record and so you know i just i just had to throw out that thought because it yeah. just it it solidified that n no one could make this up unless they needed well i guess they could have made it up but they would need a lot more time than what joseph had you know they would so. need a lot more time and resources and the prophet joseph just didn't and education have. too so yeah anyway so yeah that's about the people of i mean the jaredites coriantumr right <clears throat> so all of that and and please y'all be sure to read because we're skipping some of the verses about you know coriantumr and things i guess that he he said um regarding his people um we're going to pick up in verse 23 i think mm -hmm. says that um malachi yeah malachi goes and gives well he he was born in the days of mosiah he's lived to see his death and then his son benjamin mosiah's son not amalekai's son but mosiah the king 
his son, Benjamin, goes ahead and, and ascends the throne. Mm-hmm. And Amalekai, he gives the record to King Benjamin because he knows first in verse 25, he he himself has no seed. So he admits he doesn't have a son to right. give it to. And he may not even have a brother or something right. like that. And he also knows that King Benjamin is a just man before the Lord. And so he gives the plates to him. And he exhorts all men to come unto God, the Holy One of Israel, and believe in prophesying and in revelations and in the ministering of angels and in the gift of speaking with tongues and in the gift of interpreting languages and all things that are good or that which are good. For there is nothing which is good, save it comes from the Lord. And conversely, that which is evil cometh from the devil. So here's some Malachi testifying of all of these sacred things mm-hmm. and tying it up really succinctly with that which is good is of the Lord. That which is, is of evil is of the devil. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Also, I need to take back the fact that I said Amalekai didn't have a brother. He did have a brother. His brother just got, uh, he didn't know what happened to him. He got lost. Oh, right. Yeah. That's right. Because I remember I wrote down like Amalekai to King Benjamin when I was like mm-hmm. recapping the generations. I wrote no relation in between Amalekai and King Benjamin. And then I put like question mark. Like why, you know, Mm. and he says he doesn't have kin. I thought that was the answer. And then we learn in verse 30 that he actually does have a brother. It's just his brother. He didn't know what happened to him. He just disappeared. Well, and I guess. But I'm saying disappeared because we haven't got there yet. So we can get there now as to what disappeared means. Right. Well, we can read there that um, in verse 27, he says, now I would speak somewhat concerning a certain number who went up into the wilderness to return to the land of Nephi. So they're in Zarahemla and they send, or they, I guess, a certain number of people decide to go and return to the land of Nephi. Mm-hmm. For they were desirous to possess the land of their inheritance. Wherefore, they went up into the wilderness. They had a leader who is a, a strong and mighty man but also a stiff-necked man. So we can uh, sufficiently assume um, that he wasn't a God-fearing man. He wasn't humble. And he caused uh, contention among the people. And they were all killed, uh, all slain, save 50. And they returned uh to the land of Zarahemla after that. And Amalekai says that he had a brother who went with them and he's not, he's not known concerning them. Well, because they went back into the wilderness again. Is that true? Yeah. It says, so the safe 50 in the wilderness and they returned to the land of Zarahemla and then 29. And it came to pass that they also took others to a considerable number 
and took their journey again into the wilderness. Oh, my goodness. And I am Malachi had a brother who also went with them, and I have not known since concerning them. And I'm about to lie down in my grave, and these plates are full, and I make an end of my speaking. Mm. So he, he comes back, but then he leaves again. Yeah. He's part of that number because he doesn't know what happened to him. Gotcha. Which we'll get there as to what this group of people is and who they are and what happened. It's in Mosiah. Yeah. They give an account of it. Yeah, and, and I'm not I'm not very familiar with that, but basically like when when the people of Zarahemla go to kind of do missionary work in the land of Nephi they mm-hmm. find some of these people who are descendants of these right these people who left yeah to return mm-hmm. so that's oh it's interesting there's yeah so it's mosiah I, anyway we'll get there and we'll reference this uh, conversation again awesome more reason to keep reading because you want to know what happens right that's right <laughs> anyway so just to recap the generation because i wrote it down and i want to say it yeah we started with Omni, who gave it to his son, Amaron, who gave it to his brother, Chemish, who gave it to his son, Abinadon, who gave it to his son, Amalekai, and Amalekai gave it to King Benjamin. Awesome. So we get a cool, that's like one, two, three, four, five, about six generations. Yeah. In like two chapters. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, a lot of time goes by. Yeah. Um. I don't think we we mentioned it, but in the heading of this chapter, it spans between 323 and 130 BC. So a lot of time passes um, in this portion of the record. So, um, but we learned some critical things in this chapter. Oh, that we did. Will help help us in our further reading of the Book of Mormon. That's right. So, well. I think that's it. We we did it. I really hope that this uh, uh, Jerem and Omni really helped you understand. Because I also think part of the Book of Mormon podcast is to have a greater understanding of the scriptures. And I really hope that the Spirit did a good job of teaching what these people were and, and the generations and being passed. Because it's very easy to overlook it all. And be like, oh, yeah, it just got handed to King Benjamin. So I really hope that it was made clear that this was very intentionally being passed and, and written all the way to the point of King Benjamin. Yeah. So my no. testimony grew of that. I, I wholeheartedly agree um, because it's it's easy to kind of move through these chapters real quick and and then forget how how wonderful and how interesting the Book of Mormon is, and how how like you said, how intricate it all is, and that it grows my testimony, just as you said, it has grown yours. And again, like one of my, and I think yours too, Shelby. One of our hopes for this podcast is that it can be a resource for our children or even our friends and family who one day are confused about a point in, in the book of Mormon or the doctrine, and they can pull up this episode and they can listen to it. it mm-hmm. You know, 
our episodes have gotten a little bit longer and you know over time but still only about an hour per episode that's not too long to commit to like hey let me try to figure this out and it's from people who i've known or people who you know just wanted to share and so i'm so grateful for the opportunity to do that um next time Mm -hmm. next episode we're going to be discussing kind of a little mm, i guess like insert inserted bit here which is called the words of mormon and he just explains that hey this is me mormon here (laughs) um this is what i'm doing i'm abridging these records taking these records over here and putting them together with these that I found well after all of this took place. And that's what's going on. And we'll get more into that next time. Um, I've started studying it, but there's more to, there's more to learn uh, or prepare for so that we can, we can present it here on the podcast. Well, all right, everyone. Well, we will see you next week in the words of Mormon. Bye. Bye. Bye.